Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. holy God who has graciously pursued us with a love that cannot be comprehended by human minds. When still a sinner deserving of your wrath, you sent your son Jesus to pay the penalty of our sin and to earn our righteousness. And without this gracious decree, we would be without any hope. We confess, though, that our hearts still today betray us. There have been times that we have been remiss in fighting sin, even times in which we have pursued our own selfish desires. We humbly ask for a greater measure of mercy and forgiveness. And we trust in your desire to forgive us and to draw us to yourselves. And we thank you for that this morning. We lift up our hearts and mind to you this morning. Sweep away any vestige of pride and selfishness that still resides in our hearts and in our minds. Give us a compassion for each other. May we see each other in a new way. Strengthen our resolve to life-sharing and community. May your word reign supreme in our minds. Let us seek your truth as our anchor and our guide. Father, we come before you to ask for protection for our missionaries this morning. We thank you that we can partner with men and women that have forsaken home and family to serve you, but yet we know that many are in danger each and every day. We think of the Landros and Dawn and I have friends called the Klobs that are in Ukraine today. Lord, we hear the reports, and even Doug celebrating his birthday yesterday uh, equals that with the, the pain and just the turmoil that's going there. And Father, we may ask that we may be energized through your spirit this morning so that we may be able to share your word this week with those within our sphere of influence. And may with all within our sphere of influence, hear our voices of praise as we express our love to you, and may they be drawn to you, and may you bring them to your bosom. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. And all of God's people said, Amen. He is a good God who hears the prayer of His people. Turn to Galatians chapter 6 as we continue to work our way through this last chapter. From last week's message, we see that Paul has given the Galatians instructions on individual and community living. As spirit-filled believers, you and I are commanded to life-sharing. But life-sharing doesn't come easy, does it? Anybody who's married can understand that. It is messy, disruptive, and it takes hard work, especially with still our fleshly habits to seek out our own good. Yet God has called us to love our neighbors as We love ourselves. To accomplish this, we must march in line with the Spirit, as we saw last week, and fight the urge to be proud and self-serving. You and I must understand that, brothers and sisters in Christ, we are not in competition with each other, but we're called to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So we are called to love each other, to walk in the Spirit, and to fight the flesh. That's what we've learned these last few weeks. As we go into today's passage, Paul continues to address how that plays out in the church community life in regard 
the serving and giving. In his defense of the gospel, Paul has pointed out that there's no benefit in trying to produce our own righteousness by our works through observing the Mosaic law. This was never the purpose of the Mosaic law, by the way, to produce your own righteousness. Unfortunately, that is how many Jewish leaders had been teaching it and leading through it. During his earthly ministry, Jesus himself had charged and indicted the Pharisees with this very indictment that that's what they were doing. Instead of using the law to point to their need of a Savior, they had boiled it down and made themselves their own Savior by observing the law. The time of this letter to the Galatians that we've been reading, the Judaizers, those who believed in Jesus and said they had professed Christ, but yet still wanted to do the law, had been instructing the Christians that they too, the Gentile Christians I should say, that they too must observe the Mosaic law. They were afraid that the freedom found in the grace of God would lead to lawlessness. However, Paul has answered their objection one by one and proved that true freedom in Christ leads to godly living and that trying to produce one's own righteousness or set of standards actually in the flesh leads to slavery and then death. Yet freedoms can be abused. Our freedom, our liberty in Christ can be abused, and many of us have seen that day in and day out. Hence Paul's admonition on how to live or how we are to live within that freedom. Freedom always has boundaries. It always has responsibilities along with that privilege. In today's passage, Paul addresses another way in which you and I are to bear the burdens of others. As we read in our scripture reading earlier with Dustin, the Mosaic Law commands us to remember the poor and those that teach God's Word. Since we are not commanded to observe the law, we must ask the question, are we to use our freedom for our own selfish desires? Are we free now to use our money and serve any way that we want to? How should we approach the poor and needy? How do we show love to the less fortunate and to those who teach and preach the gospel? We've already discovered that we're called to fulfill the law of Christ. You may want to underline that in Galatians as that's one of the key phrases, which basically means that we're to love our neighbor as ourself. And we saw that in our reading again. That's part of the two great commandments. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And again, we've had to redefine loving your neighbors because many people have relegated the love your neighbor as yourself to what we call the golden rule in which we are to do unto others what we would have them do unto us. However, the problem with the golden rule is that it still makes who the object of everything? Us. But really what the golden rule says here in Love Your Neighbors Yourself, as much as you seek your happiness, as much as you seek your prosperity, as much as you seek your desires, seek that for others as well. That's what loving your neighbor as yourself really entails. That is what Christ did in his earthly ministry in securing our salvation. Paul is now going to share with the churches of Galatia that showing love means meeting the practical needs of others. So with that, let's go ahead and read it. I believe it will be on your monitors. But if you have your Bibles, you can follow along with that as we read Galatians 6, 6-10. through 10. Paul writes to them, Let the one who is taught the word Share all good things with the one who teaches. 
Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever one soweth, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap from the flesh, will reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of all the household of faith. And Father, I come before you asking you to give me clarity of mind in the speech this morning. I pray that you would bless the work and prayer that went into this message this morning. We thank you for Paul and his faithfulness in writing down uh, what the Spirit has given him. And now we ask that that same Holy Spirit will take these words and would help us bridge that 2,000-year gap and help us to understand what the calling of the Spirit is for us that profess your name. So open up our hearts and minds. May we receive it with gladness. Father, that you would break down any walls that may prevent it from reaching deep into the heart. And Father, we rejoice that your promise is that it will reap a tenfold, a a fiftyfold, a hundredfold. And we look forward to that being done. Bless us this morning as we read and study and apply your word. We pray this in the name of your Son, who has secured this for us. We pray, amen. In a nutshell here, Paul is calling the church to put their freedom in action by fulfilling the law of Christ by loving their neighbors. Concern for one another is important, especially giving special consideration for fellow believers. He has called them to give financial help by being cheerful, generous givers rather than reluctant, stingy givers. So which one are you today? If you were to separate this congregation, and I would allow you to judge yourself, would you put yourself as a cheerful, generous giver, or would you put yourself as a reluctant, stingy giver? Don't answer, by the way. But which one would you put yourself in? And then let me ask, which one would those who know you best put you in? And then let's ask this, if we were to take your checkbook and go through, which one would it put you in? And then finally, which line would it put you in if the Spirit of Christ Himself was here judging the intents and the motivation of our heart? Now, many of you, as soon as the pastor talks about giving, most of us have this type of thing that just kind of, it's like a sleep aid, right? It puts us right to sleep, we nod off, or we don't want to pay attention. But let me tell you, this is more than just a giving message. What we want to understand is what Paul is trying to say when he talks about bearing one another's burdens in the freedom that we have in Christ. And he's called us to do so. And I want to share with you today two ways that you and I are to show love in bearing burdens. Two ways in which you and I are to show love in bearing burdens. The first one we're going to see is in verse 6. And that's you and I are to show love in providing for the elders and those who teach and preach. Look what he says in verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches now. I notice that when I'm teaching this, this seems self-serving. This is one of those ones where you rather have a guest speaker come in and teach on it because no pastor is usually comfortable teaching this type of thing. But he's basically saying those of you who are taught the word are to support those who teach. The purpose is to allow those that teach to study and prepare in order to instruct the church. By generously giving, you help bear the burdens by supplying their financial needs. 
And this allows them to concentrate on praying, studying, and teaching the Word of God. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, 17-18, Paul writes this to Timothy. When he says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves its wages. Paul uses some Old Testament language there to prove a New Testament point is that elders are worthy of their hire. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 13-14, Paul refers back to the Mosaic Law when he writes, Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Now let me take a moment and just share with you something personal here. In showing love and providing for elders, you bear their burdens. You allow those who teach and teach not to be burdened and concerned about putting food on the table and paying their bills and so off. So let me say a personal word on this case. First, I want to share thank you from my family to yours. For eight years we've been pastoring here, and this church has been very, very faithful in providing for our needs and helping us. And so my family wants to thank you for that. We know that as a small church, that can be very difficult. The great thing is God has provided this church other income other than just what comes in. That helps do so. But yet we're very, very thankful. And so I just want to show my appreciation first off for you for doing that. And not only that, but over the last few years, you've allowed me to bring in a pastoral intern, Matton, who began Captivate, Dustin continues it on, who allows me to give and pour into a young man who's learning how to preach and teach and who allows me then to take some needed time off from time to time, but also is able to pour into our high school and college age group, which we did not have before. And so I appreciate that that comes with the sacrifice. And not only that, but you've allowed us to have a children's minister who now pours in to our families. And let me tell you, is when you see our Sunday school, you think, well, there's only six or seven, eight kids. But let me tell you, on Wednesdays, we reach how many families, Emily? 15, uh, 15 18 families on Wednesday in sharing the gospel. And then during the night on Fridays, we can get up to 35, 45 kids, again, where we share the Sunday school lesson and we pour into their lives. And so it's more than just what happens on Sundays. And you, by allowing the church to do that, you have given to the kingdom of God. But not only that, you've allowed us to have two part-time secretaries and someone who helps in our cleaning. Those are the things that God has called us to do. We are to give to those things. Why? Because it takes the burden. Many of you may recall that there was a time in which Rob wore all the hats. He was the janitor. I was the maintenance guy. I did it all. And slowly God has allowed us to grow. And here's the thing that I want to do is not only have you provided for that, but you have graciously provided for missionaries around the world. We have about 10 missionary projects, 10 missionary groups that we support. Everyone from Doug Landrill in the Ukraine to the benders there in Mexico to Bolivia uh, to different very parts of the world. And I want to thank you for once again, you take part in providing and bearing their burdens. But I want to challenge you, that should not be enough. You and I need to realize that there's more that needs to be done. 
we always have time in which there's more ways in which we have not added a missionary in several years. And so I'd encourage you, we haven't raised their living standard of living in years. Uh, we have not given any more. And so I want to encourage you, just as I want to show appreciation and want to encourage you and thank you for what you've done, I want to encourage you, it's not always enough. Don't think that it's enough. Challenge your heart. Could we take on another missionary? What would it take for us to, to reach more children? What would it take for us to have a bigger presence in the Spanish community here that's just right next door? Now, unfortunately, those things take real money in the real world. And the money that God has given it is not money from corporates. It's not money from grants that we ought to be looking for. It's money in which we give. Why? Because we bear that burden. So in one way, I want to thank you for what you've been doing. Our family is thankful, and I speak on Dustin and, and, and others that work here. But we're thankful for what you allow us to do. But I want to encourage you, and I want to challenge you, is that we're to share our burdens and show our love in providing for those who teach. So I want to give you a greater vision on increasing that. What more could God call you to do? So not only do you show your love in providing for the elders, but you also bear burdens but number two, by showing love and providing for the needy. You show love and providing for the needy, for those that are in need. I want to go to verse 10. He says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And let me tell you here, opportunity here refers to God appointments. God who has promised to supply every need according to His riches, uses the ordinary means of our cheerful, generous giving to meet the needs of others. We who have received much are to give to those who are in need. In Romans chapter 15, Paul is speaking to the church there. And he says, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing financial aid to the saints in Jerusalem. You may recall Jerusalem was in a famine. The church was very poor. There were many who were going hungry and starving. He says, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution to the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed, they owe it to them. For the Gentiles have come to share in the spiritual blessings, also to be a service to them in the material blessings. What he's saying here is those who receive from God ought to give back in return. Paul recognizes, though, here, Paul recognizes when he says, when you have opportunity to do good, he recognizes that a church will have limited resources. We are limited in our resources here as this community. And he sets up a hierarchy to help us guide the church on who we should help and when. And Scripture answers the questions of what are the qualifications. When is it that we should help? I want to bear someone's burden. I want to help provide for those that are in need. But let me ask you, do you ever feel overwhelmed by the need? I do. I see it almost every day, people coming in, whether it's through the Friendly Center or through the church, of people in need. I see our own people in need. You here today may be in need. At this point in your life, you may not be a giver. You may be in need of receiving. And let me tell you, there's nothing wrong with that, for God is a providential God. And you and I are the very answer to what many people are looking for. As they lift up their prayer, Lord, meet my needs. 
God's Spirit is moving through you to be the answer to that prayer. So how are we to look at these qualifications? Well, I think they're simple. In 1 Timothy 5.8, he says, Provision first is to be made by the family first. Provision is to be made by the family first. He says, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. You and I need to realize that God's first support group is the family. We ought to be helping other words. We need to be helping each other and encouraging each other. I think it's a sad note many times we just want to push people to social programs and to other types of things. And sometimes that's needful, but many times the resources are there. The second provision is to be made for those that can't, not won't. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, it says, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. He says, Now such persons we are commanded and encouraged in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. So we as a church, he tells us here that we're to show love in providing for the needy. And we ought to look, have they gone to their family? Are they people that are working? Are they people who can't find work or people who are just idle? There is a difference. And we ought to make those types of difference. We need to be smart with our money. We're not to just toss it away to each and every need. But we're to show love in providing for the needy. This is important. We're commanded to help those that are in our families. We're to help those, he says, especially to those that are the household of God and then those who are in need. For we as a church, we've done the same thing. Our goal is that we always encourage our families to take care of each other. But when that fails or when there's needed help, we as a church have said we will help those that are members of our church, those that are regular attenders. And hence we have a deacon's fund. And I want to encourage any of you that are in need, we do have a deacon's fund. And we use that to help the needs that are important. We also have a food pantry that we encourage you, just go in there, take a bag, and if you need some stuff, there's toiletries, there's other types of food. We want to thank you, those that keep bringing stuff in, keep bringing it in. But we need to encourage, there's some of you that need it, please take advantage of it. There's no guilt or shame in there, and we don't want any embarrassment. If you need to do it in a more private way, please let me know. See uh, Randy and I, and we'll make sure that you can get it in a more private way. But if you're in need of help, please let us provide. Let us bear that burden. We've helped many, and I think those of you who have given, please continue to give in our deacon's fund. Take an envelope, just write deacon's fund, and give a little bit towards it. For one day, you may need it. And that's how we bear one another's burdens. But you may ask the question, why are these things important? Why is it that we should provide the needs of teachers? And why should we provide the needs of the needy? Well, I think there's two points that he gives here in this verse. The first one is that Paul gives a warning about selfish living. Paul gives us warning about selfish living. God knows something about our heart and our thoughts about money. He says, do not be deceived in verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to their own flesh will, will from the flesh reap what? Corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap what? Eternal life. 
Again, you and I must understand the tension and the conflict that we as believers must contend with each day. We fight against the pull of the flesh. And Paul warns us not to become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. And our natural pull is towards selfish pursuits and satisfaction. And the antidote to this is cheerful, generous giving. Remember, as I said before, it's not how much you and I make, it's how we think about our money. We've talked before about consumerism. Consumerism is about how I use my money, not how much I make. Many people say, well, I'm not selfish. I don't have a consumer mindset, but yet we do. As soon as we get a little bit of extra money, how do we think about our money? Do we think, my, my, mine, or do we think, how could I use this? We're here in tax season. Many of you, hopefully, will get a little bit of tax money back. And many of you will do what we normally do. We pay down debt. We pay down a credit card or a bill, or we may use it to stock it in some type of IRA or some other type of thing, or maybe we're going to finally take the vacation or do something that we need to do with it, right? But how many have ever asked, Lord, I'm getting X amount of money. How much of it should I use for your kingdom? Anybody said that prayer yet? Probably not. I have to admit that's not usually the first thing I think of. If I find $20 in my wallet, I don't go, wow, I can look and see who I can give this to. I usually think, ah, oh, lunch and a snicker blizzard. See, it's how we think of money. It's how we think of how we can use it. And let's be honest with ourselves. Most of us think of money as mine for my selfish pursuits, for my satisfaction. We don't naturally think, how can God use this for me? And see, there's a problem. This is free. You see, we think of money as mine instead of as God's. Many people ask, well, how much money does God want me to give? All of it. Oh, 10%? 5%, 3%, well, God wants you to give it all. God doesn't give us our money for just our benefit. It's to meet our needs, but it's also to be a good steward. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 15. Because if Paul gives a warning about selfish living, Jesus also gives a warning about selfish living. So it's in Luke 12. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus is going to warn about a selfish living. A young man comes to him and says, hey, tell my brother to give me my inheritance. And in verse 15, Jesus said to him, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. In other words, so the bumper sticker isn't, he who dies with the most toys wins. In verse 16, and he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentiful, and he thought to himself, what shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops. So he has a problem. He has all this goods. All In this case, he's using an agricultural term. He has all this grain, all this corn, whatever it may be. And he starts to say, what am I going to do with this? I don't have enough room to put it in. So do you think his first note is, well, I wonder who I could share it with? Do you think that's his first thought? 
know. For we see, he says, this will I do. I'll tear down my barns and I will build larger ones. And there I will store all my grains and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. As do many of us. We put our trust in our retirement accounts, in our pensions, in our Social Security, or our whatnots. I'm satisfied. Never once looking at those that may be in need. Verse 20 is Jesus' response here. Look what God has to say. But God said to him, what? Fool. This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? He echoes the wisdom of Solomon in Ecclesiastes. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Our giving has eternal consequences. To live selfishly, Paul's saying, leads to death, while living generously leads to eternal life. This does not mean that our salvation is based on our merit, for we are saved by grace, but cheerful, generous giving provides evidence that one has been transformed and is one of God's people. Why should you and I be cheerful and generous givers? Because God the Father was a cheerful, generous giver to me. The ESV Study Bible, the editor writes about this verse. He writes, in this context, Paul reference to reaping is a reference to the blessings of eternal life rather than to temporal blessings on the earth. And that the believer will reap as a result of his sowing is life to the Spirit. I may say Paul is using this agricultural reference of sowing and reaping to teach of the relationship between generosity to expectation. What we give is what we'll reap. Now, danger, caution, red flag, yellow flag, whichever one, this is not the prosperity gospel that is unfortunately preached in too many churches today. I am not preaching here or teaching. Paul is not sharing that what you need to do is if you give X amount to, to a church, X amount to God, then he'll give this X amount plus Y to you. That's not what the scripture is saying. There is no confidence that God will ever reward us for what we give here on earth until we reach into heaven. Again, he says you're not to store up treasures here on earth, but in heaven. This is not the prosperity gospel. But he says we need to be generous. Why? Because then we can expect more from God. So as we see, why do we need these two things? Well, the first one is Paul is warning about selfish desires and selfish giving. Why is it that we need to be, uh, provide love and showing uh, and meeting the needs of teachers and meeting the needs of the poor? Because you and I are bent towards selfish desires. And then the second one is Paul gives an encouragement not to give up. There's the warning because you and I struggle with doing well and doing good. Look what he says in verse 9. 
He says, let us not grow weary, excuse me, of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Don't be discouraged, he says, in doing good. Don't be discouraged in being a cheerful, generous giver. Sometimes it is so easy for us to give up, especially when our giving and our generosity and in our serving isn't appreciated or the results are not forthcoming or what we desire it to be. To reap in due season refers to our final reward, not here on earth, but in heaven. You see, we don't always see earthly rewards. And unfortunately, that's why many people give. To say that you are to give so you can receive more in this life, again, is to the selfish desires that God teaches against. God has promised to reward those that are faithful. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17-19, through 19, Paul is writing to his young charge, giving him some pastoral advice. He writes this in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Look at verse 17. He says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. That's the people of God. Thus, storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. We could spend a lot of time, we can do a message just exegeting this, this passage of Scripture, but let me say as just to bring us together, is that we're to be generous, we're to give. And you may say, wait a second, Rob, this says the rich. I do not consider myself rich. Well, let me tell you, according to the rest of the world, you are. For a world who subsists on less than $2 a day, in some places less than a dollar a day, we are rich. It's interesting that the government lists those that are poor. And those that are on the poverty line, and they, they take a number, and I'm not going to fight or fudge on their numbers, but it says those that are in poverty have a refrigerator, they have more than one TV, they have a computer, they have a car, and they have cell phones. So even those that we would consider poor are rich by the world's standards. But again, it's not how much we make, it's how we think about our money and how we use it for our benefit or for the benefit of others. Do we share? You see, a Christian's primary allegiance is to the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of me. And I find that's where many Christians are. I don't know what was going on at the church Galatia. I'm not sure if they were struggling with giving. Maybe they were. Maybe Paul saw that their freedom of Christ, they figured that they can just do whatever they want and they can just spend it all they want. But Paul is aligning them back to the Word of God. And God says you're to bear each other's burdens. That includes showing love by providing needs for those who teach and providing for those that are in need. There will be times that you're going to be in need and want, and there are going to be times that you'll be flush, and you're to be generous, and you're to be cheerful in that giving. You see, the answer to that question why is giving to the poor and to those that teach, why is that important? Here's the answer to that question. Sharing love or showing love 
in providing for the need of others advances the kingdom of God. And that's what you and I are about. You and I are not called to hoard our money or to selfishly use it primarily for our own gain. Rather, we are called to advance the kingdom. In his thing of giving in Matthew chapter 6, he says, Do not be like the Gentiles. Do not worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear, where you're going to put your head, because I'll supply all that you need. Rather, instead of being concerned with those things, instead of seeking after that, those things, what does he say in Matthew 6.33? It's our vision statement. He says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then all these things will be added. What are the things that are going to be added? The things that you and I need for substance and life. In other words, when you and I hoard our money, when we become stingy, reluctant givers instead of cheerful, generous givers, we are saying that God is not trustworthy. That's what you're saying. You're saying, I don't trust God to provide for my needs. Now, I bet you I could say, if I could ask for testimonies of those that have been in need and saw God meet those needs, I believe that there would be many hands that would say, God has been meeting my needs during very difficult times. I know that I could give that testimony, and I know there are many of you. We by no means are a rich church. We're a church that have many people that are in need. And we're going to reach each other as a family. We consider you family and we want to encourage you. We want to meet those needs. Why? Because that's the kingdom of God. Generous giving is not optional, people. God has not given us money in order to serve our own selfish desires, but to advance His kingdom. Now, you and I live in a difficult time. God has called us to advance His kingdom and not our own. Paul told the church of Ephesus, and I believe this is on the screen, where he says, Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. You and I just have to turn on the news, turn on the Facebook, look at the internet, look at the newspaper, and we recognize that this is true. He says, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. He also cautioned the church of Colossae to walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of our time. And so you and I, God has called us to provide the needs of those that are in need. One might ask then, well, is this not just the social gospel? Let me answer by saying no. The social gospel is not the same gospel of Christ that Paul teached. The social gospel seeks to meet needs, which is commendable, yet it strips it of the need of salvation and the very power the gospel brings. The social gospel is a different gospel that should be shunned and abandoned. Fortunately, many churches, primarily the old mainline churches, have adopted this false gospel. And you and I must be careful that we do not adopt this type of gospel. So then you may ask, well, how then does that look at here at OVBC? How can you and I maintain the true gospel while providing for the needs of others? Well, let me direct your attention to Milton Vincent, who writes in the Gospel Primer. 
He says, when my mind is fixed on the gospel, I have ample stimulation to show God's love to other people. For I am always willing to show love to others when I'm freshly mindful of the love that God has shown me. So our work here with the Friendly Center, who feeds quite a many people, and I, I don't have all the numbers, but the people that they bring in for parenting, the people they bring in for different types of things, the things that we do with parent empowerment and helping families and, and rebellious children to resolve those issues. Those become social gospels when we're not mindful of the gospel and share with them what Christ has done. We need to keep in mind the gospel and how that demonstrates God pulling us out of our own poverty and made us rich in His grace. You and I, we're to meet the needs of others in love. That's what Paul's calling the Church of Galatia, and that's what he's calling Orange Villa Bible Church too. By meeting their physical, emotional, and financial needs, you and I, we earn the opportunity to share with them the love of Christ. And it gives us the opportunity to share the real need of the poverty of the soul and its need for a Savior. May we as a church, may you take every opportunity to use your freedom in Christ to show others love by being a cheerful, generous giver. Father, let this sink deep in our hearts. I pray that you would do the work. This is your appointed time. May they receive it with joy and gladness. Lord, may they look within their heart. May they seek to ask whether or not they're a cheerful, generous giver. And I would pray that you would direct our hearts to give as you've called us to through your word and through your spirit. Give us compassion for one another. And may we seek to show love and the gospel of Christ in our giving. We pray this in the name of your Son who exhibited the love of sacrificial giving in his death. All God's people said. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.